0: Hi, I'm Joel And I'm Kishan And this is Tea for Two This is our BFF podcast Where we talk about anything from science to popular culture The arts and life in Singapore Hi everyone, it's me, Joel, a playwright and performer And guess what? It's just me in the studio this week And by studio, I mean my bedroom Um, Sadly, Kishan is too busy with work this week, so he couldn't record with me And so we thought, hey Joel, just do it yourself So I am doing it myself It's an episode of the podcast that we are calling T4One In this special format, solo presentation thingamajig, um, which we're going to try out in future if people like it, we each do a kind of solo take on a topic that fascinates us or interests us and do like a deep dive, right? So I thought what better way to kick off this mini-series than with one of my favourite topics, bodies, as everybody knows, Um, but specifically the body in gay male culture. Um, so I've kind of written a little audio essay that I hope you find exciting and interesting. And if you have heard me talk about this for like the millionth time, by all means, tune out. Fuck off, right? But if you haven't, uh, I hope you find something for yourself in today's episode. I had a lot of fun putting it together and I hope you enjoy my company for the next 40 or so minutes. If you're ready, here we go. Bodies. There's a huge part of Instagram that I have a really weird relationship with. It's a world made up of gay men who post pictures and stories of literally nothing but their shirtless bodies in various states of activity. At a picnic, on a yacht, in a park, in the kitchen, wearing nothing but an apron. At the gym. At the gym. At the gym. These guys are called Instagays They are a unique combination of Fitspiration, thirst trap Lifestyle influencer And, depending on who you are Cringe fest To be an instagay You have to look like one You need a gym body Not just a gym body But a gay gym body It's a very specific kind of approach The lines are calculated for aesthetic pleasure Rather than strength Arms and chest are vital They've got to be swollen enough But not massive It's calculated for thirst Not competitive bodybuilding It's a porn body We all know it My Instagram discover page Used to be filled with these profiles Until I systematically went through each one Telling Instagram to stop sending this shit to me I do not want to see this shit. I do not. I don't like what these bodies do to me. I never have. They make me cringe because they're so unself aware. Unself aware because they always position themselves with a kind of casual insouciance, a sideways smile into the camera, a who me look on their face, as if puzzled that you're even looking at them taking the garbage out or holding up a plate of food that you're not convinced they're actually going to finish. The worst part of all this is seeing my mutuals like these photos too. Excuse me, these are friends I respect, whose values I share, caught up in this mania of lust for a body that makes me feel so queasy inside. It makes me wonder, hold up, wait, is something wrong with me? Am I missing something? Why do these bodies produce such discomfort in me? What do they mean? In today's episode, I'm going to dig a little deeper into these questions about gay male body culture. I want to understand the way these bodies make me feel, and why they are so central to our culture. More importantly, I want to talk about what these bodies mean. The body has meanings. I think to start answering these questions, we have to take a quick look at how contemporary culture makes sense of bodies. Now, I want you to imagine a Venn diagram. In one circle is visual culture. In another is consumer culture. And in the third circle is aesthetics. Now, each of these three impulses has deep implications on the body. You see, as a culture, we have gotten very used to constantly upgrading our bodies. Tattoos, bodybuilding, piercings, getting thin, exercise, fat diet, ayahuasca, the gym. We just can't leave our bodies alone. We have to keep working at them. The body has become a project. It's a work in progress. It's a block of marble you have to shape. And something about the way you shape that body tells people something about who you are inside. Bodies are not neutral. They mean things. In a world that's obsessed with images, consumption, and aesthetics, our culture aggressively assigns meanings to bodies. They can be read as clearly as a magazine. You see, there's a compulsion in our society to optimize the body just like everything else and we optimize it through the purchase of goods like gym memberships soul cycle classes 101 ways to do yoga we buy Fitbits we drink protein shakes we apply anti-aging creams you get the picture anybody that fails to consume in this way that fails to demonstrate how it's optimizing itself is likely to be seen as a kind of weird and fringe body to be devalued to be seen even as kind of immoral and shameful okay come on girls you can do it ah huh? one more one more okay one more rap mm, let's go one more kilometer mm janice push yourself huh? ah ah y'all grind yourself to the bone hey don't make that kind of face at me ah huh? grit your teeth huh? Keep going. You're not done until you collapse. You understand or not? Huh? Work it out. Hmm? Atone for your sins. There's so much shit you need to work through. You don't know or not? Huh? Look at Jesus. Jesus was ripped. What would Jesus do? Franz Kafka wrote a short story called "In the Penal Colony." Now, in this story, Kafka describes at length a gruesome execution machine that tortures condemned prisoners before killing them. They are strapped into a complex series of bolts and levers and basically crucified for several hours, while the machine slowly and painfully etches a single sentence onto their bodies. The sentence is something like, Be just, or you will obey your superiors, depending on what the prisoner has to atone for the experience turns out to be a kind of weirdly aesthetic one. It provides a cathartic euphoria for both the condemned and those witnessing the execution. In his essay Against Exercise, Mark Grieve quips that if Kafka were writing today, there would be no doubt in his mind that the execution device in question would be a gym machine. And if you think about it, gym machines kind of do look like medieval torture devices. But I think it's penitence that we seek as we throw ourselves week after week into these machines. After all, in contemporary life, we really do have a lot to be guilty about. Our laziness, our unproductiveness, overconsumption, the climate crisis. I don't think it's a coincidence that so much exercise starts to look like a public execution. Somehow, today, just as in Kafka's penal colony, the body has to be marked by our pursuit of virtue. We have to inscribe our messy inner lives on our bodies. In other words, the body itself has become an aesthetic. It's a poem that we write about ourselves. And increasingly, the idea is that everyone needs to write the same poem. It feels so good to be one of the boys. Now, all this raises some very interesting questions about gay male body culture, which, as we know, is completely preoccupied with the fit, worked-out body. The aesthetic has so many positive meanings in our contemporary culture that it's not hard to see the one major positive upshot for gay men in pursuing it. Normalization, ironically through the pursuit of an exceptional body. But minorities always have to try harder, after all. Facing outwards, this aesthetic seems to tell straight people that we gays have got it together. It communicates something to our oppressors. We are better than you. We are not just normal. We've got the latest hardware, we are fucking optimised. There's a kind of cliché line from the 90s chick flick or rom-com that goes, "Oh, Oh my god, all the good guys are either taken or gay. And you know what? There's something to that. The gay man embodies a kind of ideal standard that's so far and beyond the reach of the average straight man. And it helps that so many gay guys now physically embody the platonic ideal of perfect masculinity. Literally platonic. If you trace the history of this body aesthetic back to the Greeks and their gymnasiums and ancient statues. It's the Adonis body. It's the quintessence of classical masculinity. And we all know... That masculinity is a very valuable property in this world Especially if a big part of your exclusion from mainstream society Has to do with how you apparently fail as a man If you were kicked around as a kid for being a little sissy boy If your father was violent to you If you grew up having your manliness questioned, your proclivity for butt sex mocked, your mannerisms mimicked in the locker room, well look at you now, you big hunk. So many gay men, in selling their souls to the dogma of the gym, have made a kind of Faustian pact. In exchange for a lifetime of neurosis about your body, you get to be more alpha male than the straight men who bullied you as a child. After all, if you can negotiate this victory in the very fibre of your body, if your body can rise to the occasion, embody this age-old fantasy of what a man should look and feel like, crystallise sex itself in the bulging of your arms... If you can do all this, then you have truly, completely, and utterly won. It's the ideal kind of physical form for a community that is preoccupied with assimilation. It is the body of straight acting men, discreet men. Compared to the abjection of queerness, of the closet, of all the ridicule and mockery, I can see the appeal. I don't doubt that if I suddenly got very cut, my life would open up in all sorts of interesting ways. When I look through the profiles of these instagays, these beautiful men smiling out at me, what do I see? I see sunshine. I don't see darkness. These are not the bodies of gangly teenagers crying in the closet. These are not diseased homosexuals at the centre of a horrific epidemic. No, these are gays who want you to know that they've transcended disease, who've overcome homophobia. They are fully optimised. Their body projects are complete. It never stops amazing me just how widespread this aesthetic is, how thoroughly it seems to govern over everything in gay life. In my travels, I've seen the body reproduced in city after city. It's almost like a network of gays linked throughout the world by the same aesthetic ideal. And actually a term exists for this, circuit. Circuit parties are massive hedonistic club parties that happen all over the world. And guys in the scene travel around the world to take part in a year long series of parties and events. Now at these parties, Practically everyone has the same sort of body. It's a hyper-masculine aesthetic. Masculinity is key. To give you a sense of this, I once went to a club in London called XXL, which is at the centre of London's circuit party scene. They have a very strict door policy at XXL. Masculinity only, men only. Women's clothing, women's shoes, drag, women were not allowed Now I've stumbled into a few circuit parties in my life and I'm always very impressed by this dedication to the bulging muscles manly man theme I find myself asking a lot Hey, don't you guys feel very weird that you all look the same? I mean, I would get freaked out if I saw someone on the street wearing the same t-shirt at me let alone how uncanny it must feel to be in a space where literally every shirtless body is sculpted in the same way But Hey The merriment ensues, and it's I and not them who ends up feeling alienated by the 15-minute mark. Now if I'm being generous, I might describe this aesthetic as no different than any other queer aesthetic. Haircuts, clothing, vocal patterns, movements, words. Queers have always had secret languages to communicate with each other. And the gay gym aesthetic is like this in a way. You can almost always tell a gym gay apart from a straight gym rat. And gay men have become so synonymous with this body type that it's almost a surefire way to clock them on the street. But my question is this. What does it mean when a culture becomes dominated by a singular body aesthetic? When that aesthetic becomes synonymous, in a way, with gay male culture? What does it feed back into that culture? And what tensions and calamities does it create? Men in uniform. Let's start from the idea of a uniform. The gay body aesthetic is a uniform. It's worn to signal membership of an in-group and to demonstrate a reliable consistency of values, beliefs, and interests. The most obvious consequence of this is a politics, inclusion, and exclusion A friend of mine once told me he was going to a sex party later in the evening. I asked him if I would enjoy it, quietly suggesting that I might want to come along with him. He told me flatly, No, Joe, you probably won't enjoy it. And anyway, you're probably not what they're looking for. Without asking, I knew exactly what the scene would be. When I was younger and less sure of myself, I saw the gym body as a ticket into an exclusive gay social strata. And I can't count the number of times I have heard gay guys say that they got ripped just so people would have sex with them. I think this can have some pretty dangerous mental health consequences. I've seen so many young gay men transition into that aesthetic just to fit in. And the pursuit of that body comes with a fair share of neuroses. Every one of my Instagram friends who slipped into minor insta-gay territory ends up posting anxious stories about their intense body dysphoria. I feel fat today, one of them will say, lifting up his shirt in the mirror to reveal his abs. Another will go, I'm feeling very weird about my body today. Sorry, mute me if this bothers you. Most others just post videos of themselves staring listlessly into the gym mirror, a kind of muscly catatonia in search of validation. In these moments, it's hard not to feel a little sorry for them. But more often than not, I find myself asking, Hey, girl, what is wrong with you? You literally occupy the paragon of moral and aesthetic virtue in our community If you're feeling terrible, how the fuck are the rest of us meant to feel in our flabby meat sacks? If you think that's fat, what even is fat supposed to mean? And don't get me started on the term gay fat, which I refuse to engage with in any intelligent way Girl, you're not gay fat. You have a dysmorphic relationship with your body. Here's an excerpt from a BBC article that was published in January this year. The Gay Men Risking Their Health for the Perfect Body by Ben Hunt You're too ugly to be gay, a man in a Huddersfield gay bar told Jacob Arturio Bradea. It was the latest in a series of comments from men that Jacob says made him feel worthless. Last summer, following the comments, he tried to kill himself. Manchester-based charity, the LGBT Foundation, has warned that body image issues are becoming more widespread in gay communities. It says gay and bisexual men are much more likely than heterosexual men to struggle with them. A number of gay men have told the BBC they are going to extreme lengths to change their bodies, including using steroids and having plastic surgery, just to become accepted by others in the LGBT community. Several said pressure from social media platforms and dating apps was exacerbating their body issues. Guys with stunning bodies get the comments and the attention, says Jacob. I've not gone on dates because I'm scared of people seeing me in real life. I would honestly have plastic surgery if I could afford it. Instead of surgery, a few years ago, Jacob turned to anabolic steroids, class C drugs that can be misused to increase muscle mass. Faggots and fascists. Some people object to the term body fascist or body Nazi. They started calling this sort of language, fit-shaming, that is, shaming people for their fit, worked-out bodies. I can't believe this is actually a thing, but hey, Newton's third law, right? For every force in nature, there is an equal and opposite reaction. Look, girls, no one is shaming you for being fit. What we are doing is critically analysing the cultural meanings of your chosen body aesthetic, identifying the privileges it affords you, and pointing out the hurt it can cause. What hurt, you ask? Grinder muscle gaze can be so full of shit. It's like we're all playing Monopoly, and each one of them has their own little square, their own little kingdom. And if you accidentally stumble into this kingdom, he's going to let you know who is king of the castle. Don't want chap. Don't want CC. No Malay. No Indian. Gym fit only. Don't go past gold. Don't collect $200. Don't talk to me. This, get a fucking grip. It's troubling to me how the exclusionary politics of the body extends to race and gender as well. Singapore Grinders full of these headless clones gently telling you to fuck off if you're not also Chinese, if you're not manly, and if you're a femme, you'd better damned well be a bottom. The centralization of gay male sexual imaginations around the sculpted Chinese masculine body is really kind of tragic. It's also misogynistic. It's transphobic. It's fatphobic. It's, well, fascist. I don't know if this is 100% true, but I'm going to say it anyway. If you trace the origins of the words faggot and fascist, you'll find the same etymological roots. A faggot, in its earliest Proto-Indo-European incarnation, meant a bundle of sticks. It's how we get the term faggot for cigarette, a stick. Faggot is also related to the Latin word fascis, which also means a bundle of sticks, except the fascis was a military symbol employed by the Romans. It was a bundle of sticks bound around an axe, a symbol of collective power, And governance. This symbol, the fascists, was later used wholesale by Mussolini, and fascism in fact derives its name from this symbol. But why bundles of sticks? Bundles of sticks take longer to burn. They are also harder to break than single sticks. Ideologically, it's the idea that several disparate parts become stronger when gathered into a unified whole. Now, faggot, the slur, derives from faggoter, someone who gathers the sad little sticks, or someone who does lowly, menial work, someone who lives on the fringes. Here, in this delicious soup of questionable etymology, nonetheless lie some interesting and recognizable gay male tensions. There's strength in unity, but there's also strength in and pleasure from the exclusion of outliers. Now, if we entertain the slippery linguistic resonances of faggots and fascists a little longer, you start to wonder if there isn't something a little gay about the aesthetics of classical fascism. I mean, men in uniforms, an intense rugged athletic masculinity, the same haircuts, the steamy homosociality. Conversely, I also wonder if there isn't something a little classically fascist about the aesthetics of gay men today. For me, it's the militarization of the male body to project a kind of ideal masculinity, an ideal conforming body that excludes through its uniformity. Some faggots are sturdy bundles of sticks, while other faggots are just lowly stick gatherers. But you think, in these moments, excuse me, girl, we're all faggots. We all grew up in the closet. Who died and made you queen? Where do you get away thinking you're better than the rest of us? The rest of us with our lisps and limp wrists, our slurred speech, our hips, our breasts, our fat, our sachets, our personalities. Sometimes I wonder, when these boys work out in the gym, when they squeeze the life out of their muscles, when they punish themselves on those Kafka-esque machines, what kinds of demons are they working through? Is it the shame of the closet? Is it their own queerness? Are they just rebuilding the closet out of flesh and muscle? Do they make themselves so swollen, so visible, as to become truly hidden and invisible again? Are you still convinced that I'm being mean? That I'm fit-shaming? Look, I tend to be empathetic about people's personal reasons for pursuing this body aesthetic. Everyone has their own sob story, and I genuinely care. I hear you, and I get it. No one wants to be a body fascist. But fascism is not an individual operation. Fascism is a group activity. Remember, a bundle of sticks is greater than the sum of its parts. One gym bunny can tell a sorry and ultimately relatable tale of longing and dysphoria, but a bundle of gym bunnies, a bundle of faggots, is an army. And what does this army say or do? If your body is messy and unruly, genderqueer or disabled or trans? Well, this army of fascist clones might say to you, You are not welcome here, you who wear your queerness in a way that threatens us all. Don't you know we transcended the need for your resistance? We no longer need your radical interventions, your side eye at the mainstream, your innovations your inventions, your secret language. We no longer need your perversions, your disruptions, your instability, your shame. We are respectable. We are the mainstream now. Roy Cohn is not a homosexual. When respectable gays start to occupy the socio-political mainstream, you've got to start looking very carefully. What happens when these gays and their respectable bodies start to get everything that they want? What happens when they start to tick off the to-do list of things to seize back from straight culture? What's left? What does it mean that in cities worldwide, gay gentrification is actually a thing? Where the pink dollar invades, there go generations of working class and immigrant communities. And to cycle back to fascism for a moment, what does it mean that we actually have celebrated far-right leaders who are openly gay? Take British alt-right poster boy Milo Yiannopoulos for example. Is he merely an aberration? Or is he a symptom of something deeper, something secretive that lies between gay men and the ballot box? In Singapore, I've seen enough gays weigh in on conversations about political freedom, race relations, and democracy to know that you cannot assume an easy alignment between gay men and a politics of liberation, equality, and freedom for all. After all, what's the point of clawing your way to the center, to the top, if everyone can get there? In Tony Kushner's amazing play, Angels in America, there is a character called Roy Cohn, who's based on a real life lawyer infamous for being a McCarthy era political fixer and all round nasty piece of shit. Cohn was a kind of early Donald Trump. He embodied a particularly toxic brand of American neoliberalism cutthroat, go getting, and power hungry. He was actually kind of evil. And he was also a suspected homosexual, though he was never public about this. In the play, Kushner gives full rein to this seeming contradiction, a homosexual fascist. In the following scene, Roy Cohn is talking to his doctor Henry, who's in the midst of diagnosing Roy Cohn with HIV AIDS. Roy Cohn. Your problem, Henry, is that you are hung up on words on labels. Gay. Homosexual. Lesbian. You think they tell you who a person sleeps with, but they don't tell you that. Like all labels, they refer to one thing and one thing only. Where does a person so identified fit in the food chain? In the pecking order. Not ideology or sexual taste, but something much simpler. Clout. Who owes me favours? Not who I fuck or who fucks me. But who will pick up the phone when I call? To someone who doesn't understand this, homosexual is what I am because I sleep with men. But this is wrong. Homosexuals are not men who sleep with other men. Homosexuals are men who, in 15 years of trying, can't get a pissant anti discrimination bill through city council. They are men who know nobody and who nobody knows. Now, Henry. Does that sound like me? Henry, no. Roy Cohn, no. I have clout. Lots. I pick up that phone, dial 15 numbers, and guess who's on the other end of the line. In under five minutes, Henry. Henry, the president. Roy Cohn, better, his wife. Henry, I'm impressed. Roy Cohn, I don't want you to be impressed, Henry. I want you to understand. This is not sophistry, and this is not hypocrisy. This is reality. I have sex with men, but unlike nearly every other man, of which this is true, I bring the guy I'm screwing to Washington, and President Reagan smiles at us and shakes his hand because what I am is defined entirely by who I am. Roy Cohn is not a homosexual. Roy Cohn is a heterosexual man who fucks around with guys. I've always loved this scene. It brilliantly outlines how, with the right intersection of class, race, and gender, you can override the disadvantages of queerness. That in fact, with the right aesthetic, you can erase the appearance of queerness itself from your life. And Roy Cohn is right. We can be too hung up on words. Here, Roy Cohn is saying that the word gay as a marker of identity connotes powerlessness. But what happens when the word gay stops meaning powerless? What happens when gays move closer and closer to the center of power? In gay male culture, we've seen how proximity to whiteness, or in Singapore's case, Chineseness, along with wealth and status, confers tremendous privileges. The biggest privilege is the power to set the agenda. Is it any wonder that gay activism around the world centers around the legalization of marriage? It's the ultimate fantasy of respectability. And the story of marriage legalization is the story of powerful gays mobilizing to get things done. And what gets shut out of the conversation? More often than not, it's queers with messy, unruly bodies that tell of messy, unruly, inconvenient lives. As Kushner writes, where does a person so identified fit in the food chain, in the pecking order, not ideology or sexual taste But something much simpler Clout I think the line today might read Roy Cohn is a homosexual And so what? He still got clout Clout is what you can get done Clout is what you can withhold from someone else Clout is about the amount of space you take up And if we take a good hard look at contemporary gay male culture, what does clout look like? What is the aesthetic of clout?